What does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? My name is Wesley Donahue, and I'm here to answer those questions. And today I'm joined by Georgia GOP political consultant, Chip Lake. We dive deep into messaging and debate spin, and we even talk a little bit about that surprise debate performance from Herschel Walker last year. Have you recovered from from the shit show that was the Herschel Walker campaign? uh, Yeah, I mean, marginally recovered. You know, I don't know if... uh, if uh if phil taught you but i i uh i fell off my brother's deck on thanksgiving night and broke oh, no. four ribs and so uh for the last you know two weeks of that runoff i was functioning with uh with four broken ribs on the left side of my body so you know between that and all the other shit that was going on it was uh it was it was a blur oh man we're not gonna dive into it because obviously we can't say much but i spent all day yesterday with phil and scott paradise and then yeah I was, I, I was late to this zoom because i just had lunch with scotty howell phil and uh scott farmer so oh, that's great all of you guys you know i was on i was obviously push was working on it i was watching more from the outside kind of coordinating creative and stuff here at the office yeah. but anytime i'm with any of those people all they do is talk about the campaign so i'm, I'm oh, just kind of yeah. sitting there listening yeah, if you're going to be with that group, you and and it's it's so soon after the end of the election, you're going to get you're going to get caught into a lot of war stories. I think they all have a speaking of war stories. I think they all have a little bit of a campaign PTSD at at the moment. Oh, I think we all do. You know, I I think we all will all have PTSD that we need therapy for to get over that. Man, what a what a mess! What a mess. but like guys, I mean, guys, all, you guys almost pulled it off. hundred, I should say we, yeah. but you were the guys working on it all day every day 100,000 votes is not a lot of votes man that that's it's close not. and and with the amount of money that we were outspent by Wesley and you know looking at what happened the whole cycle too with you know no incumbent senators going down and the you know the the moral to the story from looking at last cycle is if you're going to be an incumbent member of the US Senate and you can outraise and outspend your opponents 3 to 1 you're going to be in good shape to to get reelected yeah, didn't it end up being close to like two hundred million dollars outspent. And the, uh, uh, the outspent number, I think, was about one hundred and twenty, hundred and twenty-five, which okay. is a substantial amount of money, obviously, as you know. And um, you know, we felt it, right? I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had the money to push push messages on on uh, TV and digital, but we didn't have the money that you know that our opponent had, and we just got, you know, we we got uh, we got. In, in the theme of, uh, you know, what's happening in the West Coast this week, we got flooded. I mean, we just got, uh, yeah. I mean, he had enough money at the end to, to uh, you know, to, uh, to hire graffiti artists to, to put graffiti under the bridges in Atlanta and to put on a light drone show the last seven nights of the election that said vote Warnock in the sky of downtown Atlanta. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Well, you probably don't follow me on Twitter or see, you probably weren't paying attention to my rants like during the spring. But, you know, the national media kept talking about the red wave. And I felt like I was a very lone voice saying, guys, we're actually not only is a red wave not going to happen, but we're going to lose. And I was talking strictly about the fundraising numbers and saying then, like, look, Biden's numbers might be bad. Inflation is happening. I get it. But in the grand scheme of things, like it's still all about the money. And I saw us being outraced three to one, four to one, every single reporting period. And it doesn't matter. And everybody's talking about, oh, this is Trump's fault, or we had bad candidates. 
none of that matters if you're getting outspent three to one or four to one. You can't sustain that level of disparity in, in cash. No, you can't. And the one the one miscalculation that I made on 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 the Georgia Senate race is, you know, I I, I thought um first of all, I, I wanted to win just like everybody wanted to win in, in November. I thought that was our best opportunity and I thought that was our best chance. But I said if we make it to a runoff, the one thing that we're gonna have working for us in the runoff that we didn't have working for us in the five or six months of the general election after the primaries are over with, I said, spending is going to be more at parity. And boy, was I wrong, you know, yeah. because, uh, you know, in the first, I, I think was at the first 11 days of that runoff period, you know, we raised $13 million. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's the first nine days, you know, we raised $13, $14 million, which is a substantial amount of money just on digital alone. And we got outraised. Um, you know, Raphael Warnock during that same time frame raised $47 million. And it's crazy. Like, yeah, it's insanity. So, you know, honestly, that's the reason we just made that purchase of campaign solutions because I, I'm so obsessed with this problem because nothing we do in the states matters until we can fix that national issue of, and this wasn't just a Georgia thing. It was across the country. You saw it in Arizona. You saw it in Pennsylvania. You saw it in Ohio, just these large spending uh, disparities. And until we fix this problem industry-wide or party-wide, there's nothing we could do in the States to sustain that level of, of cash. There's nothing. Um, You know, it, uh, it, uh, you know, look, you, you don't have to, you know, pound for pound and dollar for dollar. You know, you, you, you don't always have to outraise and outspend your opponent to win, but you, you can't get outspent like we got outspent and like Senate right. candidates all around the country got spent, outspent. You know, I mean, you have to have enough, uh, you know, to, uh, and we thought, you know, we, we did the best to, to raise as much money as we could. The campaign team was yeah. focused on it. Campaign Solutions did a phenomenal job day in and day out to make certain that we were squeezing as much out of the lemon as we could. But, uh, you know, it just pales into comparison to what the left is able to do. And it's a, you know, it's a cultural thing and a structural thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can, you know, we can, uh, as you addressed, uh, you know, changing the structure. I think we can do that, but we got to change the culture. You know, we, mm-hmm. we got to make, uh, you know, we, we got to make, raising uh, donations 10 15 25 dollars at a time a bigger priority for our party because the democrats have made it a priority for their party and um and and they've seen uh, you know they've seen the benefits that that uh, that that generates yeah Chip, but what's sad about it is like you said our team worked tirelessly and they yeah. actually crushed it i mean we oh, did yeah. an amazing 18, job on fundraising yeah and we said but but as great of a job as we did and we thought we were killing it they're doing three times, four times better. And, you know, I, and, and I think you're right. And, but what, it, what really depresses me the most is we're like three or four cycles behind. Like the, the Democrats didn't create this overnight. Like the act blue structure and them training their donors to give regularly, like paying a water bill, which our people don't, yeah. it took them a good decade to yeah. build that out. Sure. And we can't that we're not going to fix that in the next two years or even four years. We got to have a commitment. And the problem chip is that everybody's so focused on the next election, which I get because that's our job is to win the next election. Everybody's so focused on the next November that nobody's looking long-term. And I think we got to have more of like a Silicon Valley mentality where we're thinking like, like, or like Elon Musk, right? It's okay to blow up some rockets. 
Because we got to blow up some fucking rockets if we want to get to Mars. And we got to think more long term than just past this November. But nobody's taking, yeah, nobody's taking that ball and running with it. No, you're 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 exactly right, and it uh, you know um, you you were also right uh, back in back in in March and April of you know last year when you were talking about um, you know not um, not calling it a red wave before we know exactly what we know is going to happen. Look, I didn't have a crystal ball and know what the results of the 2022 election cycle were going to be, just like nobody anybody else did. But the reality is, you know, if you would have told me in you know, let's say, uh, you know, let's say six weeks after the, you know, the the uh, the Dobbs decision, you know, and it, it looked like the momentum that the Democrats had from the abortion issue had worn off a little bit. If you would have told me that we weren't going to pick up any of those Senate seats that that we were that uh, that we were uh, competing in, I, I would have, uh, you know, I would have taken the other side on that and I would have bet the House. Yeah. You know, uh, on at least two candidates, maybe three, and and we didn't up, you know, winning anybody. We didn't end up winning any of those as a party. And so, you know, there was one thing that was consistent in all of those races, and that is the incumbents outspent the challengers two and a half, three to That's one. That's right. So, what I noticed with Lindsey Graham's race against Jamie Harrison, where we raised over a hundred million dollars in South Carolina, deep red state, five point yeah. five million people. I mean, it's insane. Insane. We only raised that amount because Jamie Harrison raised that amount. Yeah, sure. Meaning we only raised that amount because there was a need, an urgent need, because we were being outspent by the Democrats. So when we're talking about the red wave, it's self-defeating because if Republicans think we're going to win everything, they're not going to give. Yeah. 110%. Hundred and ten percent. It's kind of crazy, man. But That's um, exactly the way it works, you know. You 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 uh, and campaign solutions team did a phenomenal job at it. You you have to uh, provide an urgency for donors to give, and and it can't it can't always and, and very times is not positive. Look, we took a lot of criticism in Georgia for talking about and and some of our uh, solicitations and emails. How um, you know uh, how we were down in the polls and how we were getting outraised and how we were getting outspent. But the reality is, you know, the margins on and the yield on an ask like that is 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 a hell of a lot better than sending out an email to a donor and talking about how great things were going. Oh, and I know Herschel in particular wanted to send out emails about how we were leading in the polls. Yeah, but if you tell people you're leading in the polls, they're going to see no reason to give you money. That's exactly, especially when they're reading what a red wave it's going to be. Exactly. So do you think after this cycle and the last cycle, can we, 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 I guess it's a stupid question. I'm going to ask, can we win Georgia again? But we just saw Kent win. But then we saw Purdue go down, Loeffler go down. Then we saw the Herschel Walker uh, defeat. I mean, what's happening in Georgia? Well, there's a big there's a big difference in Georgia between between what's going on at the state level and what's going on at the federal level. You know, when when you look at the at the federal level in Georgia, we haven't won we haven't won a race at the you know the federal level since 2016. Um, you know, and that, that's excuse me, other than uh, other than Trump winning in in 20 uh, 2018. Uh, 2016. I'm sorry, I'm getting all my date. You know, at the federal level, we've struggled. We've lost the last seven or eight federal races, right? I mean, there were uh, there were two races for um, uh, for Raphael Warnock's uh, seat, which uh, you know was um, um, was an open seat at at the time, or you know. Um, 
it wasn't an open seat at the time, excuse me, Johnny Isaacson had passed and then there was a uh, an appointment of Kelly Leffler, but it was ostensibly an open seat, right? Kelly had just gotten to the Senate and it was Johnny Isaacson's seat. And, and you know, that race had 20 people in it. So we knew it was going to go to overtime. We knew it was going to be a runoff and it was. And then you had, uh, you know, you had David Perdue running against John Ossoff. You know, many people don't realize that David Perdue got you know, uh, 70, I think 8,000 more votes than John Ossoff got on election day in 2020. Um, but, you know, a lot of those voters, if not most of those voters didn't come back. And so, yeah, look, um, uh, we, we can absolutely win, win Georgia again at the federal level. We've had some bad luck. Um, we've had some, um, you know, we've, we've had some, uh, unforced errors, but those are things we can fix. And, you know, we, yeah. we, we know we still have a lot of success at the state level. And so, you know, there's uh, a lot of us, um, if not most of us here in Georgia ready to turn the page again to the federal level, but we won't have another opportunity for four years because, you know, there's no federal race on the ballot this coming election cycle. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Man, you've been doing this a long time. What's what's one of your favorite campaign stories we can jump into? You know, um, one of my favorite cam. I was an advanced guy. Uh, um, it's really kind of how I got into national politics, and a lot of people don't know that, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I worked for um, my first job in D.C. was in 1998. I worked for a political action committee called the Freedom and Free Enterprise Pack, which was a leadership pack that Jack Kemp had at the time. And um, I worked for a guy named Rick Ahern, and Rick is kind of known in Washington, D.C. circles as the, um, you know, uh, kind of the grisly old uh, uh, old advanced guy. And, you know, Rick uh, today is probably in his mid to late 70s, um, you know, uh, and he was there was a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph when Ronald Reagan got shot outside the Washington Hilton and Towers by John Hinckley. And in that photograph was uh, Ronald Reagan's Secret Service agent, a guy by the name of John Parr, and then his lead advance guy, a guy by the name of Rick Ahern. So I had the opportunity to work for Rick, and I, I loved it. It was, uh, you know, he taught me a lot about, um, uh, mostly a lot about protocol, which is not something that a whole lot of people know a lot about, but I, I learned about details and protocols and advanced guy. And um, I worked for uh, uh, Steve Forbes when he ran in 2000, because after Jack Kemp didn't uh, didn't run, Rick went on that campaign. And then when that didn't work, I followed Rick up to New York State. And um, it was uh, the uh, the 2000 election cycle. And, and I remember it vividly, Wesley. It was uh, it was September of 2000. And there was a debate that night in Buffalo. And um, we had, you know, three guys on the ground. And, um, you know, back uh, back in the year 2000, uh, it was the beginning of of the spending of soft money, right? Everything up mm -hmm. until then was hard money and coordinated through the parties. And so, um, you know, uh, Bill Clinton was president. Hillary Clinton was uh, a candidate for U.S. Senate in New York State. And I was working for Rick Lazio at the time. And and um, there was a lot of coverage about um, soft money. And, and Hillary Clinton was the beneficiary of most of that. And, 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 and we were not. And so, uh, you know, I remember watching that debate in Buffalo. Um, and I was, I was not in the spin room where the press was. I was in a room just out, outside the spin room where a lot of our team was watching. And I remember Rick Lazio walking over to Hillary Clinton and, and, and getting her, trying to get her to sign a pledge 
that she would pledge not to receive and spend soft money on her campaign. And I learned that night and, and ostensibly over the next few days and even years after that, the power of the spin room and what happens. Because, you know, after that debate into the night of that debate, um, in the spin room and the press and us, all of us believed, and even Clinton's people believed, that they lost that debate and that Rick Lazio won that debate. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, all of a sudden, Howard Wolfson and Bill de Blasio and Hillary Clinton herself, you know, they, they start talking about how Rick got in the first lady's space and, and how sexist it was and how aggressive it was. And within a matter of 72 hours, we had gone from being unbelievably excited about the performance that our candidate had at that debate to... Um, I mean, it was almost like we assaulted her at her debate podium. And even today, if you Google Rick Lazio, um, as I did before I prepared, you know, for this podcast, I mean, you know, the, the thing that pops up mostly is about his debate performance in Buffalo that night. And so, you know, it was a, it was a big learning experience for me because you see the power of spin. You see the um, you 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 see what happens when you take a risk. And you know there was even a Washington Post story, you know that uh, popped up in 2011 um, that talked about the worst debate moments ever, and it was before a presidential debate. And and all of the all of the examples of the worst debate moments ever were presidential debates. There was one exception, and that was Rick Lazio <laughs> against Hillary Clinton. And um, there was also an ABC News article in 2016 um, that uh, ran before you know Donald Trump did his uh, his first debate in that presidential cycle. And um, and uh, Rick Lazio was quoted in that article as uh, as uh, being asked by the reporter. You know, do you have any advice for Donald Trump as he goes into this debate tonight with um, with Hillary Clinton? And Rick said, yeah, don't walk over to her podium. So um, <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, I was uh, gosh, I don't know. I was uh, I was a lot younger then, Wesley. I turned 50 uh, this month and that was uh, 2000. So so do do the math. I was uh, a lot younger, had a lot more energy, but you really learn the power of spin and um, and you learn how you know, how, um, how the narrative of an event can change over time and, and, and very, very, you know, uh, it, it changed very quickly in that regard. I love it, man. Let me ask you that. So you actually just went through another pretty big debate. I don't want to talk about the Herschel Walker campaign too much, but, um, everybody expected Herschel really to flub and he had a fantastic night. It's like my, so my question is, do you think what happened in New York would happen today, given the power of Twitter and given the real time spin of an event. Yeah. You see what, no. what I'm saying? It's a great question. I don't. I thought about that. I thought about it. You know, I thought about it before I came on here as well. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think in real time, I, I think what these, uh, what these platforms and social media have provided is what the media provided us back in the day, right? Yeah. Um, and and so no, I I think if Twitter was around, Facebook was around, if some of those mediums were around for people to interact and communicate with each other and talk about that, I don't I don't 
I don't think we would be, you know, would be Googling Rick Lazio today and, 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 and coming up, you know, with that narrative. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was only 22 years ago in many respects, it seems like a lifetime ago. And, and with, with everything that we have at our disposal that we did not have at our disposal in that time, I guess it probably was a lifetime ago. Yeah. I mean, and look, I started campaigns back in the day when we were still faxing press releases. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm 43, so not too far behind you, but I, I started, I got my first campaign job when I was 15 years old. So I've been, I've, I've been around the block a long time too, and would have never expected the power of social media like it is today. But, you know, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of like two situations that I've been involved in. One was in the presidential campaign, uh, in the primary with Trump, where I was doing Marco Rubio's campaign. Yeah, And, you know, we had all these fundraising emails prepared because Marco was such a, he's so well-spoken and we thought he was going to crush it. This was going to be our night. And it it was that night that the campaign was over that, you know, um, Marco just got gutted and it was in real time, right? It was like, as soon as some of these things happened, it really really wasn't even Trump that gutted him. It was Chris Christie that gutted him. It, It was like the campaign was over and we saw it happening in real time, but also with Herschel, you know, we were all so nervous, but like it was like within the first 15 minutes, we knew we were having like the debate performance none of us expected. And in real time, we were changing all the press release, uh, uh, the uh, fundraising emails and blasting out fundraising 100%. emails before Herschel was even off the stage. Absolutely. And, and absolutely. And it, you know, um, you know, there's one way to win a debate in politics. And that's to exceed expectations, right? Mm-hmm. If you exceed expectations, you've won the debate. And and the expectations were so low for for us and Herschel going into that debate. What what people didn't realize was how serious he took, um, how serious he took that debate, how well he prepared for that debate, how much time he prepared for that debate, because he knew that he was going to be judged as a candidate. He he knew that many people were going to make a judgment on him as a candidate based upon how he did in that debate, and so you know it um, it was a phenomenal night. I, I wish, in hindsight, Wesley, that you know the debate was closer to uh, you know was closer to November eighth because I I do feel like as we get closer and closer to November eighth, the benefits that we derived from that uh, from that night in Savannah um, kind of wore off a little bit. And um, you know, I, I wish it. I wish it was just closer. But um, but yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent. I mean, it. Uh, you know, these things happen in real time, and and um, you know, and 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 people know it very quickly. Everybody asked me after the Walker debate if I was surprised, and I said, and again, I only talked to Herschel. Uh, you know, maybe once every couple months, he and Julie would call asking something. I didn't talk to him every single day, multiple times a day, like y'all. But you know, I said, no, I'm not surprised because. If if you don't become who he became in college NFL by not practicing and not prepare, like he built himself through discipline, yeah, and that that's just who he is as a human. So if if you're looking at a debate like a football game, you you, you know you spend your entire life preparing your body for those moments, like a national championship game, and he, he would approach a debate the same way. He, you know, with absolute discipline and preparation, which, you know, back to, you know, your Lazio example, you know, my, my guess is that happened in real time. He probably didn't even ever even think about it or prepare for that moment. It just, just, just kind of happened. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and going back going back to Herschel too. I mean, we started doing and he started doing debate prep before Wesley. There was even a debate scheduled, right? We were in negotiations with Nexstar. We had uh, debate invitations from other um, you know other media outlets, and and we assumed that there would likely be a debate. But you know, Herschel said, "Look, I want to start preparing for it." And we, you know, we we uh, he would work seven days a week. We'd take Sunday and Monday off and do debate prep. And, um, you know, uh, when you're not, you know, most candidates, especially that far out, aren't doing, you know, political events on a Sunday. You do that as you get closer to an election. And it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a problem for us to not do public events on Monday. And if we did, we do them late in the afternoon or early in the evening. And so he would have two full days for, you know, six, seven weeks ahead of time where where he would prepare and he would uh, and 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 he would, you know, it's not like call time. You know where you know where it's on your schedule, and a lot of times candidates blow it off. I mean, he he looked forward to these you know to these sessions, and he did. He uh, you know unlike a game plan in a football game where you take the field once a week, you know he knew there was only going to be one debate, if one debate. So he's going to make sure that he you know he, he practiced for it as much as he could. I was really proud of him. Everybody on the team was proud of him, and uh, you know unfortunately we didn't get across the line for reasons that. You know, that you addressed earlier in. I mean, I, I think you know, had we been closer to parity on the financial side, that race could have gone different. I think we, you know, there was an opportunity for us to win in November, yeah. but it just, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. Yeah. I don't want to keep it too much longer, but so when I was younger and still preparing, uh, so my background actually was on the comms side. You're, yeah. you know, everybody comes up through political finance, comms advance, like you did. Mine was on the comms side, but so I've been preparing candidates for debates far longer than owning this digital company. I see the difference now and then is I would be preparing them for the debate in totality, you know, like setting a narrative for like the full hour long debate where now, even today when I'm helping someone with debate prep, it's more about that one knockout punch instead of like the, like you're obviously you're preparing for every question, every issue, but you're, you're focusing much more on those clippable Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. 15 second moments rather than the narrative of the full hour. If that makes sense. It absolutely does. The same thing. Yeah. Because most people aren't, you know, most, most voters, most undecided voters um, aren't going to sit down and watch an hour debate. I mean, what they're, what they're going to take out of the debate are the 15 second sound bites, the clips, you know, what shows up on social media, what the campaigns are pushing, what, what, you know, what the news media is pushing. And so, yeah, you, you, you know, you have to make certain. And on that note too, you know, it, um, you know, if you're doing debate prep today, and one of the reasons we thought it was safe, even though we didn't know for certain whether we we were going to be doing debate prep is if you're doing effective debate prep today, you're not only making a candidate, you're not only putting a a candidate in, in the best position to succeed at that debate, but you're making that candidate a better communicator. So yeah. even if that debate does, even if that debate doesn't materialize, you know that candidate from going through that process of that rigorous process of debate prep is ultimately going to be a better communicator as a result of that. No, that's exactly right, man. Well, man, I appreciate you doing this with me. It was great. Thanks for having me, brother. Cycle, man. Let's uh, let's get back and figure out what the hell we're going to do to fix fix Georgia and, and win some races. I'm in for that, man. Just let me know. I, I appreciate being on. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Wesley.